all of you have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. You're in the midst of writing that story. And my job is, as a teacher is to help you write the story. First thing I must say is, are you okay? Yeah. You know, that's more important than the paper at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, is everything okay? And then, um, yeah, and then, and then, hey, all right, well, that's fine. We can figure out how, how we can uh, get, this, get this assignment done. Mm-hmm. The three A's academics athletics and arts mm-hmm. and in his mind that the, the capital a was was academics and mm-hmm. then you had athletics and arts yeah and in and one of the great things about when i was growing up at pomford school was you know the athletes did plays and the the kids who you know we call the art the the arts the arts kids played sports um you know it, it things weren't as specialized as they are today Hello, and welcome back to the Bigger Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Zhao. And today I am so lucky to be joined with history teacher, assistant coach for boys varsity, ice hockey, and lacrosse team, and also my war teacher, Sam Cater. How's it going? Good. How you doing, Shannon? Good. So why is it important for us to study history? Well, that's uh, a multifaceted question. Uh, The shortest answer I can give is that old adage of... um, you know, the, those who fail to study history are doomed to repeat it. Mm. Um, but uh, on a deeper level, I think history allows us to learn a lot about uh, what what it means to be human, mm-hmm. um, what what it means to live in, in the world that we live in today, because history helps to explain why it is, why the world we live in today is mm-hmm. the way it is. So um, what does it mean to be human? <laughs> well, there's there's another uh, it's question. a deep question <laughs> that's uh, why we're here <laughs> for, for me um i think ultimately um mm-hmm. for me anyway being human comes down to you know we're, we're in my opinion and uh we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made um mm-hmm. by god or a force outside of ourselves mm-hmm. um I think it's God, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and so that is sort of the the core of what makes makes us human mm-hmm. is that ability to kind of um, in, engage in in a relationship with something higher than ourselves. And it's it's why human beings have you know go to church mm-hmm. or go to the mosque. Um, mm-hmm. Human beings worship god uh mm-hmm. you know uh bears don't yeah um, uh so um yeah that's very true because i think i've seen i've either read it or seen it in documentaries that some of the earliest human documentaries or cave paintings has religion related to it mm-hmm. and then religion has if there's something that has consistently been throughout history it has been religion and religion have been something that could really bring people together or separate people together like through wars i mean we talked about all these wars yeah no you're absolutely right i mean one of the biggest uh drivers for conflict has in human history has been um religion continues Mm -hmm. to be so today um Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and yet, you know, and I, and I think um, there's instances, uh, obviously, of of war um, coming about because of religion, but there's also uh, plenty of you know instances in human history where you know, where religion can bring out the the best impulses in people. Um, you know, for example, you you look at some of the old, uh, you know, back in the Middle Ages during right. the, during during the a lot of times of religious wars, but also of um, uh, epidemics. Um, yeah, you know, Black Death in the, in the yeah. 1300s. Yeah, um, there was often religious leaders. It was um, monks. It was uh, clergy who were the ones who, as everybody was leaving these infested area, disease infested areas, they were the ones going in mm. to help. Um, mm-hmm. And oftentimes, too, I think... Um, like invention, innovation. It, it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, there's... Um, in terms of... I mean, when you, when you look at the history of... Um, at least in, in, in European history, a lot of um, hospitals were, were built you know, built by religious authorities and, mm. and, you know, the church was Catholic church was a driver in, in, um, helping to fund or, or helping to build hospitals. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, in terms of, of, uh, innovation though, mm. I mean, there, there's plenty of, there's plenty of examples of people, um, moving outside of, of, uh, Outside of the religious dimension, um, mm-hmm. where you've seen tremendous amount of um, innovation. I mean, I think I think you had the you know, scientific revolution saw mankind and in, in, humankind in many ways moving mm-hmm. away from uh, religion, um, mm-hmm. and and yet that that brought with it a, a good deal of innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so speaking of religion, you did mention how religion is a big connection with you. You have a big connection with religion and also religion is a massive force in history. How do you think religion originated and how do you and and how do you think because there are all these sort of different types of religion? Um, I, I, how do you why, I, why why is that? And also, how do they sort of come together? And, well, I, I think I think there's a lot of it. Um uh, if you want to assess the religious impulse of, of humanity, um, I, th- I think a lot of that comes from uh, the, the manner in which human beings can can understand and, and try to and, and we try to make sense of our world right. that we live in. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and I think that's one of the things that you see here in a school in particular, and mm-hmm. one of the kind of the neat things about being in a boarding school as a teacher is that you get to spend so much time with with the kids and kids are constantly trying to figure themselves out mm-hmm. um and so i think that uh but i think that's something that that sort of never ends i, th- I think all of um most people uh, on the planet are are in some way or another trying to figure themselves out and, and, mm-hmm. and trying to make sense of the world in which they live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there, there's, um, uh, and, and we often can, will 
use, in some cases, society will be centered around um, a religious impulse. Like, for example, the, the, when the Puritans came over to Massachusetts mm-hmm. um, back in the 1600s, they were coming to, they wanted freedom to, to worship mm-hmm. and to live their lives. And, and their entire society was centered uh, and, and revolved around their practice of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So um, that was their way of, I think, of make of making sense of the world that mm-hmm. they they lived in, mm-hmm. and it's and often it's how religion is how we, you know, uh, determine the categories that we, uh, you know, uh, put in in life categories of right and wrong, um, categories mm-hmm. of of what's acceptable. Um, What's an acceptable way to live? What's an, what's an acceptable way acceptable way not to live? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, a lot of those can be informed by by uh, certainly by the religious Religion, yeah. impulse, of course. Um, and and again, I think uh, you know we'll talk about um, religion in general. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a very wide ranging topic. Mm-hmm. There's, um, that's yeah. the thing about history; it can go all over the places. Sure, I, I mean. <laughs> I mean, look at the, you know, when you think about, um, you know, one of the things uh, I, I, this year I got to teach world history for mm-hmm. sophomores, the first time I've taught that class here at mm-hmm. NMH. And mm-hmm. one of the things that really struck me as I was going through the material and going through it with the students was, again, sort of seeing that how, how different um, the different human societies that we looked at, how differently they they would approach certain things from the mundane to, you know, how would they set up their, how would they set up their dwellings? Like, what, what was it that they sought to do to how did they, you know, what, what were they, how was their human society structured? Um, and then it also goes to things like, um, you know, you know, th- th- but there's this great variety mm-hmm. um, in that. And yet, there's also similarities. There's things that you can kind of see that run through mm-hmm. all the different cultures. Um, and bringing it back to, you know, the, the class that you're in with me right now, the Warfare, Humanity, and Society class, there are, you know, war, unfortunately, is one of those things that we see throughout all cultures and all times that mm-hmm. um, humans uh, in conflict and, mm-hmm. you know, so w- one of the things in the course I, I try to get at is why, you know, what do we make of that? Mm-hmm. What do we make of that? That, that um, human beings seem to, uh, you know, there are times when, when human beings can live in, in peace, mm-hmm. but it's, it's pretty tenuous, you know? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not an easy thing. You mentioned a lot of interesting points about war and history and the question really comes to how do you take in all these information? How do you, what is your way of uh, learning history? Because you know a lot of information. Like you can sit in class and just talk stories upon stories upon stories. How do you know this much about history? Well, I, I don't, I don't think I know as, as much as a lot of people. Um, hmm. I would say, so they I, mean, I, say. I, 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 I read, I try to read a lot. Um, uh-huh. like, like, 
most I, I think like most of my fellow historians um <laughs> and uh you know that that's probably the biggest thing is trying to read read as much as you can and um take uh, take take what you what you learn and and try to use it in the in the for me anyway but i mean to me being able to teach history in a classroom setting is is a real it's a privilege i mean not everyone gets to do that so for me mm. it's uh you know, something i really enjoy doing um and why do you enjoy doing te teaching history well I, I i enjoy the the give and take in classroom discussions mm -hmm. uh i enjoy I enjoy being, I mean, I think, um, what, what is it that I, I, I just, there's something about being when I'm in the classroom and we're, we're going, you know, we're reading an article or we're, we're discussing a, a homework reading. And I, I just, it, it's exciting to me to see students interact with this material. And you, know, you have these moments when you're a teacher where you see, you know, lights go on for kids um uh or or when we as you know we write a fair bit of paper we write a fair bit in my classes <laughs> yeah, I, fair bit, fair I, I i enjoy i enjoy watching that progression of students who uh at the beginning of the class um from the beginning of the class to the end of the class you can see this direct progression of improvement in their written skills and mm -hmm. and likewise Oftentimes that accompanies their ability to better articulate themselves in classroom discussions. Mm -hmm. So to have to see that progression, mm. positive progression, I, uh, is really satisfying and gratifying as a teacher. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, speaking of teaching, and I was just thinking about scenarios, and there may be would there be sometimes challenges for you as teachers teaching students because sometimes if if people aren't interested in the subject of history or yeah you know if people don't yeah. really want to learn stuff what, what do you sort of do with it well i i've found that for me anyway my time at at nmh anyway the um the students i've had i i feel like students here are pretty gregarious they they want to learn mm -hmm. um and by and large, I feel like I've always had, uh, you know, I can't think of a class that I've had in NMH where I walk out of there every day going like, man, they're all completely unmotivated. I, hmm. I don't have that experience. Now, I did have something um, uh, before I came to NMH. I was at the Foreman School in Connecticut, which is a school for kids with learning differences. Mm -hmm. And that that was a much sort of different classroom experience because the students you know, had ex they had real, pro you know, diagnosed problems with their ability to learn. And for a lot of those kids, um, they, didn't, they didn't feel comfortable in a classroom mm -hmm. um, in, in a way that I, I feel like students at NMH, by and large, feel comfortable when they're in a classroom. Mm -hmm. um, the students I had in Connecticut uh, down at Foreman didn't, didn't, for the most part, didn't feel comfortable. They had struggled a lot. Um, and and the challenge there was not only to see that progression of improvement, but it was also trying to really help them get to a point where they felt good about what they were doing because so much of their academic experience had been negative because they just had struggled so much.
Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes feeling like the, and, and kids at Foreman would talk about how when they came to the school that it was the first time where they felt like they had, like they were just in an environment that felt more comfortable in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because they were in a classroom where, you know, they were in it together with other kids who had had similar struggles. Maybe mm-hmm. they hadn't experienced that before. Or I, I'd like to think they, they found teachers who were understanding, mm-hmm. you know, and who, who went out of their way to, to help them in a way that they weren't getting in a more, you know, you know, not, or not, not in a uh, educational setting that's geared towards kids with learning differences. So what was your approach to help these situations where you had to sort of, it, it must be a challenge for you, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was a challenge, but uh, I think the biggest thing was um, mm-hmm. going in there and, and sort of recognizing that and, and sort of not expecting these kids to do everything right. Knowing that that and and going in from the get go, being like, all right, these, a lot of these kids are are, you know, they're they're hurting, they're wounded, they're they're kids whose journey in education has been pretty rocky. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have some sort of understanding of that and some empathy for these kids, mm-hmm. you're not you're not going to help them. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. So I. Would you say that would apply to every other class too? I, I think it does actually. And that's one of the great lessons I think I learned from teaching in a school like Foreman um, mm. with, for kids with learning differences is that sense of really being tuned into the fact that every child that comes in your classroom is unique. Mm-hmm. They've all, they're, they're on, you've heard me say this, you heard me say this at the beginning of class this semester. I believe every kid is unique. I believe every kid is on their own journey in life. And my primary job as a teacher is to help them along that journey mm-hmm. in a way that's meaningful and fulfilling. And hopefully we can get a lot of history in there, mm-hmm. get a lot of writing in there. <laughs> but at the end of the day, at the end of the semester, that they will have had a good experience and will feel like they've taken another step on that journey, uh, this educational journey of that's uh, that is about learning content, but it's also about learning about ourselves as as people mm-hmm. and as individuals. So, I I really think that's important. So, I think one of the biggest things that I want to do is to when students come in any student who wants to come in and tell me about themselves and say this is where i'm at i am all ears um Mm -hmm. i'm that is a conversation i'll have every time at the same time i i think i have i've had students over the years who you know might be of a more private nature and and they they're not going to share certain things about their journey right right up front and sometimes you feel like they're kind of distant. And I think there you, you also have to uh, respect that to some degree. So um, you would much rather have students tell you what, what's up? And no, no just, not necessarily. I, what I want my students to, to do is to, is to, you know, be, be their authentic selves to mm-hmm. 
yeah wh- wh- whatever form that that looks like um same thing with you know the players i coach you know be yourself and and i'm going to try to be myself and i think if we both can do that and understand that we're both here to that what you understand that my primary job here is to help you along the way Mm -hmm. get further down that road Mm -hmm. then uh i think we can do positive work yeah that's that's a great point about the mutual understanding part because if you if well if you understand our situation if you understand our needs we can you know, like we can tailor the class towards our needs, and also, and yeah. also like if if there's issue, like for example, if if a student ha- hasn't turned in a work or hasn't turned in a paper, you would much rather them tell you directly, oh yeah, just yeah, you know, what, I, what has happened. And yeah, that. no, exactly. I mean, would, I I've had plenty of students who've come to me and and it's time to turn in a paper, and they and they'll say, you know, yeah, I just haven't gotten it done. I've had a lot going on, and that's fine. Mm. Um. You know, are, are you first thing I must say is, are you okay? Yeah. You know, that's more important than the paper at the end of the day. Mm. You know, is everything okay? And then, um, yeah, and then, and then, hey, all right, well, that's fine. We can figure out how how we can uh, get this get this assignment done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't I I I think this primary job of a teacher is to help kids get further down that road. Mm-hmm. And in it's a, I think probably one of the biggest professional duties a teacher has is to is to be empathetic and and patient mm-hmm. and to understand that that you know every kid is at a different point along the way, mm-hmm. and you know our, our job is to um, is to help them you know hit hit that go down that road. And, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes I, I, I've certainly seen colleagues who uh, over the years that I think are, are really good at this. Um, certainly here at NMH, I've seen other colleagues who, um, and, or, and, and this doesn't go with that. I mean, obviously this is actually all the schools I've ever taught at and mm-hmm. taught at a number, but mm-hmm. I've also seen colleagues who I think in their best intentions, uh, mm-hmm. maybe don't always, get that i for example i i remember i had a colleague at at, at um school and kind of get a foreman who mm-hmm. kind of he was very intense and he and he and, and i think he thought that every conversation he'd have with kids was going to be the conversation that changed their life he, <laughs> you know it just doesn't work like that um yeah. and uh so again i think his heart was in the right place but it didn't always uh it didn't always come out right i think from from the end of the kids, because kind of have to understand that you know, I, I don't know that you can push the envelope with with kids in that way. Like, oh, this conversation is going to change their life because mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be many conversations. So you from would, many different people that are going to change kids' lives. You you that's sort of your intention for teaching, right? You want to make a positive impact and change your lives in some sense. Yeah, I, oh, I want to make a positive impact. I, I I'm not necessarily. Uh, I don't see it as something where okay, oh yeah, my my whole reason here is because I'm going to change these kids' lives. Um, yeah, you know, I no, I, I want to make a positive impact, and um, I want to, you know, I, w- I want to help get them from further along down the road. But I'm also know that we're doing this within a school setting, and there there's they're going to have interactions with plenty of other people other than me. Um, and 
And for some kids, I might have a lot more um, interaction, a lot more influence. Some kids, I won't. And there's even plenty of kids, especially at a school the size of, uh, of, of NMH, there, there's kids I don't, I don't know. They come in here for four years, and our paths basically don't cross. Mm -hmm. um, and that was actually one of the biggest adjustments I had when I came here. Because at Foreman, mm -hmm. a much smaller school, you, you, you knew every kid. Mm. Came in here, and I, my whole first year here was, was really, and I look back on it, and this is my 13th year at NMH, my first year was, I, I think I was a deer in headlights, and I was mm -hmm. just basically like, this place is so big compared to the last school I was at. And, and, and I came into NMH right on the, after the post-consolidation from when the school moved to one campus, downsized mm -hmm. significantly. Mm -hmm. So here I am at, at this place that I think is huge, and I've got veteran teachers talking about how, how much smaller the school mm -hmm. is. So it was mm -hmm. kind of an interesting time to be here, an interesting transition to make from a really small school, I mean 200 kids, mm -hmm. to a school of you know, 650. Mm -hmm. um, that's a huge difference. Um, and, and it was really strange to kind of go through a whole year where – so many kids, I had no idea who they were. There were mm -hmm. kids that walked across the graduation stage at the end of the year, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I've never seen that person before. <laughs> that that would never happen at my last school. <laughs> so interesting, yeah. I mean, speaking of you helping students, what 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 areas do you do do you sort of focus on helping if if there's any or it's more? Well, well, I I think the biggest thing for me is is the interactions I can have with with students in the context of the teacher student relationship mm -hmm. in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Then there's um, I'm also an advisor, so I have those kids that I advise. I do dorm duty, so I'm going to be interacting with those kids. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I try to, uh, um, you know, I, I think one of the uh, one of the challenges when you're, uh, you, you know, in a boarding school is going to be, you know, you're, you're with the kids in a lot of different areas and varieties, mm -hmm. a variety of areas you know, in the dorm. You'll see them in the dining hall. Yeah. Um, coaching. Coaching is a big one, too, where I think you can really have a positive impact. Mm -hmm. on, on a person's life if you're in that coach-player relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I mean, one of the things, too, that always struck me is sort of funny. And, and I, I did work in a day school for a mm -hmm. few years and a couple of years down in Florida. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that was I sort of always remember was whenever, the, whenever I'd bump into the, my students when I was outside of school, at the grocery store, for mm. example, they always look at me like, oh, my gosh, there's Mr. Cater. You know, and it's like, yeah, I, I, I go to the grocery store just like you do. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I have a life. And, yeah, sort of, they have these, like, funny yeah. interactions where, you know, I, again, I, I, and I think for me, I, I, I probably feel m more at home, uh, you know, in a boarding school, just because I, I I grew up in a boarding school, basically. And I spent yeah, most it, of my childhood. I spent all of my childhood around schools, mm -hmm. um, but I spent my adolescence, in particular, from ages nine to nineteen, I was on a boarding school campus. Where were you here? No, no. At Pomfret School in oh, Pomfret, Connecticut. Right, right. 
Yeah, my, I mean, yeah. My my dad was the headmaster there from oh. nineteen fall of 1979 to spring of 1989, the, the year I graduated from high school. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you just mentioned there was very interesting. I think I, I, I personally feel a lot uh, with that too. Because the, the thing about boarding school is you're just in this environment. Everyone, you see everyone all the time and sort of you gradually understand and accept that everyone's part of the community it in my previous school you know there's always i always feel that there's like a distinction oh teachers are teachers students are students workers yeah. are like you know there's like the clear line i mean i i i mean obviously like the clear line always exists but i was surprised when i came here and i heard everyone just calling teachers or um older people directly by their first names that would never happen in my previous school because it, it yeah, just seemed like that's you know. interesting. Because yeah, that that's something. If if you look at um, a lot of the boarding schools, you know, each school kind of has a different approach with that. I mean, I mm. think here we're we're informal. Mm-hmm. I know other schools that are pretty informal, and there's other schools that are very formal. Mm. Um, you know, we don't have a dress code. There's plenty of schools that do have a dress code. True. Um, I mean, I I grew up going to. I wore a coat and tie to mm. school from fourth grade on um <laughs> or no fifth grade on i wow. was uh yeah. wearing a i was in a coat and tie every day um and that's one i i gotta be honest i one of the things i i like about nmh is is not having to wear a coat and tie <laughs> every day um yeah. uh, that, and um i think too though that one of the interesting things it, i talk about you know this that that nmh when i first got here to me was a very large school but i think we have to remember that boarding schools in general and and a lot of private schools are very very small compared to what in public schools kids will go to Uh, i mean i I know that we get we have kids that come to this school who maybe have been in a public school um in some cases they're in a public school of you know two three thousand kids Mm-hmm. Think about that. that. That that's a huge, uh, you know, that makes our school look really tiny. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I mean, I, but I think there's that that uh, sense of scale. I guess is the best way to put it when it comes to schools that um, is is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think, uh, for me anyway, I I feel like um, uh, I I've come to. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I had that big adjustment my first year, but since then I, I've sort of come to, you know, do fine with the size here, and I sort of accept the fact that, that there's going to be a, a, a every year there's kids that go across the stage at graduation, and I, you know, don't <laughs> never had really an interaction with them. That's just kind yeah. of the way it is. Yeah, and you did mention a lot about coaching today we did mm-hmm. talk a lot about uh, you know sports and i think sports is a big big party obviously you had the bruins had yeah. uh, cap on um yeah I, I, well, part of that's um i think yeah i mean i i grew up uh in a pretty kind of athletic family in a sense mm-hmm. my um you know all my my grand you know i had a grandfather who played played hockey and played like uh, almost like kind of a semi-pro almost like mm-hmm. right after world war ii in a way mm-hmm. i think it was sort of that way mm-hmm. um but uh um 
I, I had an uncle who was a very good hockey player. I, uh, my, my Your brother, yeah, my, my, my middle brother, the one just older than me is, uh, played hockey at Trinity college, played against a young, uh, coach arena at Amherst. Um, and he, uh, and he's gone into the hockey business. Um, and so he's involved, um, with NHL hockey players. Um, yeah. and then, my oldest brother was he was a hockey player um we we were all very kind of athletic famous three boys mm -hmm. i grew up with and yeah when my prior to to living in connecticut we lived in philadelphia and my dad was the the headmaster of um chestnut hill academy which is now it's a day school in philadelphia it's merged with the um girls school springside Springside School, so schools are merged now, so it doesn't go by CHA or Chestnut Hill Academy anymore. It's Springside Chestnut Hill. But anyway, when we were there, it was an all-boys school, and mm. we 1970s in Philadelphia was a great time to grow up being a, uh, a hockey family because the, the Philadelphia Flyers in the mid-70s mm -hmm. were sort of the heyday of the franchise and won a couple Stanley Cups, and mm -hmm. it, was, it was a lot of fun to grow up um, in that environment and but one of the things we had mm -hmm. we had this huge open space in a mm -hmm. basement of our house mm -hmm. and my brothers and i and friends would come over and we would play street hockey down in the basement with a ball mm -hmm. for hours mm -hmm. and my, my mom loved it because she just sent us down there and we just keep ourselves busy for hours at a time just playing street hockey and mm -hmm. we even painted lines like painted lines and created our own like little hockey rink mm -hmm. down there and we had mm -hmm. nets and and we would just spend hours down there playing hockey and then and and we also had a we had an old next to our house was an old overgrown tennis court mm -hmm. that it that we mowed it was mowed down and we used to play wiffle ball out there for hours in the warmer months mm -hmm. and so kind of always playing sports and um you know my uh my house, like literally across the street, was the the football field where the school, the varsity football team, would play in the fall. And yeah, I just kind of grew up with a lot of around a lot of sports, um, being around a school that, that had an athletic program that was pretty good. So, um, and and the skating rink was down the road. It was it was the Wissahickon Skating Club. It was not part of the school, but it was next to it property-wise. Mm -hmm. Still there today. It's kind of one of the oldest skating club, skating rinks in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's where I learned how to play hockey, was in that rink. And so, yeah, I mean, kind of sports for me has always been uh, uh, an outlet, part of my life. And um, when I got into teaching, it, uh, you know, coaching was part of the deal. And so... Um, it, it was, uh, kind it's of, like I think a natural move. fit. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, um, but again, I, I don't think that the approach to, for me anyway, teaching and coaching are very similar and they're both educational activities. Yeah. And that's what, one thing that I wanted to ask is how do you sort of balance the, the sport aspect with, with, with teaching? And, and not only that there, there's, this is probably a two way question, um, 
one is how do you balance coaching with teaching, and the second thing is how do you balance your passion with sports and your passion with history. Well, I, I don't, I, I don't know that I necessarily. Have it's to, not a balance. It's yeah. just like how, I, do you, how do these come together? Well, I, I think because like I was about to say, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that there's a balance there because they're both educational. <laughs> so, there, it's more a matter of. Uh, I mean, I. Yes, I, I kind of come to this uh, this way, um, and again, this comes from growing up as a son of, of a of a headmaster. <laughs> is is this? Uh, you know, my my father was always a big proponent of the three A's: academics, athletics, and arts. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, the, the the capital A was was academics, and mm-hmm. then you had athletics and arts. Yeah. And in and one of the great things about when I was growing up at Pomfret School was, you know, the athletes did plays, and the the kids who you know we call the art the the arts the arts kids played sports. Um, you know, it, it things weren't as specialized as they are today. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, when I was in when I was in high school, I mean, it was not uncommon to have people who were, um, you know, solid students in the classroom, three sport athletes, and they also would would have their art shown in a in a show, or would have a lead in the play, or sang in the choir. So, um, you know, and and unfortunately, I, I think it's a not not good. Um, our our society has moved away from multiple sport kind of view. You know, now and, it's a lot more you, yeah. specialized. Um, and I I don't I I think that's too bad. Um, I don't think it's the best for kids' athletic development. Um, I think it's good to play a number of sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I grew up just doing all kinds of different sports. It's um, like Roger Federer. He played what, like thirty odd sports before he landed on tennis. And yeah, I, I don't know his Chris. story in particular, but yeah. I, but I do know that that you know there there are over the course of I mean when I when I was growing up, I I can remember reading you know sort of books about sports history, and you always read about Jim Thorpe, you know, who was the an amazing athlete, a uh, football player, he was a track star. Um, Oh, another football, Jim Brown, one of the greatest uh, running backs in NFL history, was a really good lacrosse player at Syracuse University. Hmm. Um, you know, this, that's really, I think... What do, you, what do you think the value of having the multifaceted life of Triple A is? What would you think... Well, well the, I, th- I think for that, that idea of triple A approach, if you will, to education, you're going to have really well, you, know, you can't help but turn, have kids who are really well-rounded, and they're going to have a more fuller, richer life mm. for it, I, I think. Um, What's a good thing about having a <laughs> fuller life, you'd say? Because th- in, in yeah. some sense, like, well, I, I totally agree with this. I mean, I I'm a person that would go and and do like you said the triple a i would do the triple a i would take care of my classwork i would do a- athletics play a lot of soccer and also a, a lot of other sports i came here i probably played 10 sports here maybe yeah well, that's and good and arts i i'd sing i'd yeah do all these like i that's was part good. of the show too and i act a little bit and then i do podcasting too and then a lot of people think it's weird that i do this much well, well i don't channel because, uh, but it's it's see here see I, I I totally agree that it's 
definitely brings a fuller life but in 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 some aspects i don't know i I just feel like doing a lot of these different things just gives gives me more value and more understanding of this world and and it actually like helps me become a better person and then well i i think that um yeah, and it is kind of, I, I guess it kind of brings us back to what we had started with when you hit me over the head, like probably the biggest question of all, um, what, what does it mean to be human? Um, <laughs> but, but I do think that part of like what we're doing, uh, being in teaching and, and where you're at as a student right now in your life, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're right now on a really sort of intense part of your development as a human being right now. So there's, and, and in your teenage years, there's a lot of self-discovery you're, you're trying to figure out who you are um mm-hmm. you know all these questions about well you know, what makes chan and Channon? um mm-hmm. and you know i think sports can be a way and and the arts and and your academic pursuits are all ways that can really help people figure out who who they are um and so and i and i again that's why i do you still suggest people to specialize at a certain point? Well, I, I mean, I, I suppose at a certain point you you do specialize, mm. but but it, but it depends. I mean, I think obviously, um, you know, uh, there there uh, it's very rare that you see people who can play professional sports in in two areas. I mean, you know, most recently one I can think of is Deion Sanders or Bo Jackson, professional baseball, professional football. Okay, but mm. um, I do think that that Michael Jordan, yeah, man, Michael well, Jordan, he, he played he played a little bit of baseball. A little he, bit. He, he wasn't quite the baseball player that uh, Deion Sanders was, but yeah. um, but but you know, I I just think that it's uh, you know, obviously, I think at some point, you, if if you're good enough to to go to a high level in a sport, you you sort of have to. Commit. You have to commit to it. Um, I mean, look at uh, if you want to look at someone like a like LeBron James, who's right, if he plays next year, he's going to be forty, which is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, he was a really good football player too. Um, he could have, you know, there's no. He could have. Um, I, I doubt he would have played football till he was forty. Um, but you know, we made, we could have we could be having a talk about LeBron James as a football player. Um, you know, I, I just even think of some of the kids that have come through, come through NMH that I know. I mean, we had a boy here a few years back, uh, just finished up for four years basketball at Harvard. And mm-hmm. somebody told me he's going to be going to University of Tennessee for his fifth year. Mm-hmm. Uh, named Chris Ledlam, who mm-hmm. was a very athletic basketball player, but Chris was also, he didn't play football here, obviously, because we, we didn't have football when he was here. Um, mm-hmm. But he um, he was could easily played college football as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very good football player. So, mm-hmm. and I and I do think though that there's I think at this point in 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 a kid's development um, and as you're growing up, I, I think the more sports you can play, the the better. That would be my advice. But mm-hmm. I think that's very much going against where our culture has moved. Our culture has moved and very why much do you towards think specialization. That is, why do you think? I, Having different uh, sports actually helps you with sports. Oh well, I because I because I think that it, it you can you you know your your body uh, as it grows and develops the the different sport sport different sports 
takes different muscle groups. It takes mm-hmm. different skills. So to develop these multifaceted skills are going to be better for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I think that's and also why. with uh, adding on to that point, I would st- I also say like innovation or creativity, because I think of Federer a lot because he's sort of like the prime example of a per of a multifaceted sport person mm-hmm. um because he's done so many sport and he does these unorthodox you know crazy moves that just and then it's and it's just like people have not seen it but people would not think that way but then he would just do these things and then it's incredible it's because he well so so let me ask you is he are you saying he he's because uh, again i i have not um you know i've, I've obviously seen Roger Federer played tennis on uh, yeah. on TV. Uh, I but I I'm not a big tennis fan myself. Yeah, um, me neither. <laughs> but but um, my sense is, and, and we'll have to ask Kevin Kevin who about this because I know he's a big tennis guy. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, my sense is that Roger Federer is a very creative player. Yeah. And and that's interesting to me because I do know when I was when I was growing up, uh, John McEnroe was one of the preeminent and Bjorn Bork were two of the preeminent tennis players. Um, I kind of first got interested in watching tennis at a young age because I watched a lot of different sports, but that was when Borg was dominant and McEnroe was coming up. And, you know, it was back in the age of wooden rackets. So players couldn't generate the kind of power that they can now with the different rackets. And mm-hmm. so, so players were, were very creative and, and McEnroe was a very creative player but you know then the technology changed and you had this era of these big hitters and these guys who could just smoke a ball and and they would just you know mm. massive serves and y- you had a player um and, and anyway it seems to me that roger federer in some ways kind of combines those two because i i'm pretty sure i know he can hit a ball pretty hard but he, he can does hit some, it hard and he also but, but has he these does smooth moves like for example the way he slices a ball yeah it's just incredible no one does it like him. yeah well his, his I, single hand backhand is yeah well i would say to you know for folks who and again you can do this now in the age of youtube but for people who want to for tennis people out there it, it's kind of cool when sometimes i'm on youtube and you know a clip might come up of an old you know some portions of a match at Wimbledon with Borg and McEnroe and they're playing with wooden rackets. And <laughs> it's just really cool to watch. I mean, the game is a much different game. Um, yeah. And it, and it really was based on a lot of creativity. Um, True. And, and that's the same thing with, you know, when you, when you look at a lot of different sports, you know, and you go in the past, um, it, it, it's amazing to see how some of these games have sort of developed and, and, um, yeah, and I think the point that you touched on creativity is absolutely on par. I, that I think that connects to what we were talking about about two things about one connecting to being human. Human is human because human is creative. Mm-hmm. We can create. Yeah. That's why Homo sapiens are able to dominate the world because we have our own invention. We create our own society we define a lot of things and we, we create war- language we create yeah, arts we I, create. I i don't disagree with you i i think that there's that creative uh a creative and element instinct. um and instinct yeah and it's really and, important because yeah. you because look at i mean you you know and, and again talking about history you know one of the things that you, you know we we talked earlier about how there's a lot of a lot of history gets tied up in in warfare 
there's also a lot of history gets tied up in cultural pursuits of philosophy and art mm. and um, architecture mm. uh, and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Which again is, I think, uh, a really fascinating dimension to to history and why I'm drawn to it and why I enjoy teaching yeah. history. Um, yeah. And, Definitely, because uh, there's so much to it. There's, yeah, it's uh, it's there's really inexhaustible. I think, like yeah, you can, you can certainly. Um, everyone has a story to tell. I would agree, and that's something that I tell my students: is that all of you have a story to tell. Mm. You're in the midst of writing that story, and my job is as a teacher is to help you write the story. Right, um, and so that's what I try to do. Um, I don't know how, uh, you know. Some days I'm better than others, maybe, but that's kind of that's kind of life, I think. Love it. This has been what a wonderful journey with you, and uh, as always, we ha uh, with the bigger period project. There's always like a sort of quick fire, final three question. Okay. For you, so um, first question: What do you think the bigger picture of life is? What do I think the bigger picture of life is? Um, uh, I I think that. Um, uh, I don't know. I guess as an Amer, as a, somebody who's taught a lot of U.S. history, hmm. maybe the bigger picture of life is is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> um, but I think that um, I think all of us, we all have uh, all want to to you know have a life that's fulfilling, that has purpose to it. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I I don't. I don't see how, you know, to me, that's tied up into um, uh, it really is tied up to the idea that I, I think I'm going to have a, the most fulfilled and purposeful life in coming in and trying to figure out, you know, where, where do I, where do I fit into this world, into this world. Right. But, but also that it's not, uh, it's not about me. It's mm -hmm. about others. It's about, the people that you come in contact with, um, mm -hmm. and and ultimately too, that for me anyway, there's also a, an element um, of of being, a, you know, a, you know, what does it mean to to be a a, a uh, not not just? Uh, I, I mean, I I feel like. For me, I can't conceive of humanity that doesn't at least have some degree of, of that religious element of being a child of God. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, for, for me, uh, I, I, I've come at that from a, from a Christian worldview. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that, that's where I'm at with that. Love it. And I totally agree. Pursue of happiness in living a fulfilled life yes but but i would say that one of the things about that is that yes there, there's a pursuit of happiness but that that can sometimes get derailed pretty quickly when people decide that happiness is only about them and so that can True. be a very hedonistic pursuit of happiness and it's about and that's defining not what i'm what, getting what at. is what is happiness and what and see that's connected because what i feel like from, from talking to a lot of people obviously but a lot of people have said, and and I personally feel it too, that the 
the true happiness, the best happiness comes when it's not only about you, but when you involve the community, when you help the community be a better place. Yeah. Like I, if it's just by yourself, yeah, you get happy to a certain level, but what true happiness is when you're like doing it with others. Yeah. You know, well, and I, I think, I think too, it's, um, it, it's hard. Uh, you, you know, we, we live in a very, uh, we live in a, a, a society and kind of a culture these days that I would say I've heard people say is very therapeutic. So, mm. so you know, happiness is, is almost more of this sort of therapeutic idea of what happiness means. I, mm. I'm, I don't know. Uh, I'm, the happiness I'm thinking of is one that's truly fulfilling um, right. and I'm not. I'm not saying that there aren't elements of this therapeutic no, notion of happiness that aren't mm-hmm. aren't fulfilling. But mm-hmm. the ultimate fulfillment, I think, always comes with things outside outside yourself. I, I, I look at it this way. I I know when I uh, and here here's I guess something to to sort of think about. But I know for me when I played sports and I was successful in sports, it it was um, it always felt good, you know, it make mm-hmm. me happy to to win uh, win a game, but or, or even if you lost, but you know you played a good game, yeah, you, know, you could feel good about that. But then there was also the fact that when I became a parent and I got to watch my own kids play sports, that was even more exciting for me really? than when I played. Really? Yeah. Sure. Interesting. Interesting. I, I have to, I, I can't tell about that. I have to wait and see. <laughs> uh, second question. Um, what are some non-negotiable values that you have oh, in your life? Um, non-negotiable values. Uh, well, I, I think that it's, um, I, in my dealings with people, I, I want, I just, I, I first and foremost, honesty. I want uh, I, uh, honesty and authenticity. Authenticity. You know, I, I don't think anybody feels like feels good about when you have an interaction with somebody and you feel like, wow, that, that person was just kind of yeah. one either going through the motions or they're just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, just not, you know, there's kind of, pl- you know, BSing you on something. Yeah. You know, no, nobody feels good about that. Yeah. So. Is that that's one sort of non-negotiable. The other non-negotiable I have with people is, uh, or in life, is that you know I I think there's there's a tremendous amount of value in human interaction in terms of being willing to discuss an issue and mm-hmm. and within that discussion and and, and honest discussion, um, I think that. That's where people can find mutual understanding, and that's where true human progress happens. Yeah, that connects to authenticity. Mm-hmm. You have to be authentic and be be honest so that that can happen. Last question before we sign off to Ropo. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing you can say to a younger version of yourself, what would it be? Huh. Oh, there's a lot I'd say to a younger version <laughs> of myself um, because I, I do have a lot of regrets, really? to be honest. Yeah. Sure. I look back What's on a lot of things in my life, and there's things I wish I had approached differently. Um, uh, there's definitely, I, I think I would have, I would tell my younger self to work work harder in school, uh, to work harder in, in all the things I did, to not waste as much time, mm-hmm. to um, be better in my relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, I look back and, and I do, I, do. I, I have some regrets on certainly on my childhood and things I could have done differently. 
Um, Which is more guided towards uh, working harder, you know, so... Yeah, working harder in my classes, Mm -hmm. um, working harder in, in... in everything, um, yeah. think I could have worked harder um, <laughs> in general. All right, uh, I think I could have. Um, uh, I, I I don't know. Uh, there was a lot of things. That, Seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I I definitely have a, a fair amount of regrets when it comes to childhood. I one thing I don't. I, I mean, I certainly. I don't look back. I, I do look back with a lot of fondness for my in my childhood because I think being able to to grow up um, around schools was mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, that was a great childhood to be a to grow up as a faculty brat was wonderful. I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Oh. Um, and that's where you know I've been able to give that experience to my own children, um, right. and I um, that I wouldn't trade for anything, but. You know, certainly in terms of, I, I think I, I, I just, I look back and, and realize that, you know, I, I could have just worked a lot harder in, in a lot of different areas. And so. Love it. I, I, that, that's a regret I have. Sure. Love it. Well, Cater, thank you so much for coming today. It's oh, been you're very welcome, Shannon. Happy time to do has, it. Ha- time has flied. Did you have a good time here today? I did. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. When, and an hour felt fast, No. Oh, no, absolutely. It felt very fast. I feel like we just started this like 15 minutes ago. It's really <laughs> been an hour. Wow. <laughs> All right. Wow. I love to hear that. Oh, that, that means, uh, that means we, we've definitely had a good time and definitely talked about a lot of, a lot of good stuff and listeners, if you're still listening, I know you had a good time here today because I did truly did. And thank you for coming again. And for listeners, thank you all so much and see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.